Good morning, everybody. (laughs) That's much better. Please turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 10. We are starting a new series this morning. This is a series that I've been praying about, I've been preparing for, actually for several years, because um, I don't know if if, if everybody knows this, Um, I I work full-time for New Hope Community Church. Um, and uh, I do a part-time job uh, for the primary purposes uh, functionally uh, so that New Hope um, has some help with my health insurance and me and my family's health insurance. I have a part-time job uh, helping with a, with a pest control company called Scientific Insect Control, and one of the things that I do for them is leadership and character development with uh, the team there. I actually train some of the new employees, um, and we do some, some leadership uh, training uh, for the for the guys uh, occasionally, sometimes we even do like seminars for that. So um, some of the stuff that's in this series is actually going to touch on some of that, some of the kind of um, leadership elements. The series is called Equip, Inspire, and Influence. And for me, it's especially exciting because while I'm doing this kind of leadership training and talking to them about things like servant leadership in the in, in the realm of kind of the business world, there's always these things. As a pastor, there's always these things. As a Christian, there's always these things in the back of my head, like I want to kind of press a little bit more on the fact that all of this, for me, comes from a place of worship of Jesus and about modeling servant leadership, sacrificial leadership, sacrificial living, because that's what my Savior did for me. And so this, I'm especially excited as we launch into this series, Equip, Inspire, and Influence, Um, to think about this from, obviously, a Christian point of view. So I begin with three basic assumptions as we start this series. Assumption number one, we are called to glorify God with our lives. Assumption number two, we are called to build for the kingdom of God with our work. Remember that we do not build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already built. Jesus has done a fine job with that. We get to build for God's kingdom. We have the freedom to build for God's kingdom. And because of that, assumption number three, we're called to support, influence, and love others, possibly even through leadership um, as we do that work. It's been said that at its foundational level, leadership is influence. If there is a mission that is worth having with a goal that is worth pursuing, then leadership of integrity is worth demanding. I want everyone in this room to think of a person who is or was worth following. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a coach or or, um, a teacher that you once had. Who is it for you that when they walked in the room you wanted to be a better you. You were willing to follow their lead because you trusted where they were going. You see, all of this comes ultimately from the one that we follow who's Jesus. All of this comes down to the purpose that God has for our lives. And next week we're going to talk about that purpose. We're going to talk about the, uh, how God created us to work and have dominion over his creation. We're going to talk about how it's quite possible that God is calling each and every one of us to great things and how those great things can look a variety of different ways. 
But today, before we get any further, I want us to look at a crucial principle. A principle that we must start with before we could talk about any sort of purpose that God has for our lives or the influence or leadership that God would uh, give to us. This principle applies to parents. It applies to teachers. It applies to CEOs of, of Fortune 500 companies. It applies to coaches. It applies to team leaders. It applies to personal trainers, theater directors, and chefs. If leadership is influence and you find yourself in a position of influence over others, especially if you're a Christian, this principle is something you need to hear because it comes from the lips of Jesus himself. But don't think you get off the hook if you don't actually find yourself in a position of formal leadership. The truth is that everyone is a leader of something. Because everyone has influence over something. On week four of this season, uh, series, Jason's going to talk specifically about influence when you're not in charge. And he actually has some incredible stories about that um, with his relationships with uh, the Jewish community. But we'll get to that on week four. For me, when I was in high school... The thing that meant more to me than anything else in the world was band. Um, well, actually, girls and band. <laughs> That's another sermon. Um, for better or for worse, being part of the Parkville High School Music Department was essential to my identity as a teenage human being. I had bought into and dedicated myself to the mission of the band. Namely, to be the best band that we could be. And I was blessed because I happen to have the best two band directors that God has ever placed on planet Earth. Uh, remarkable that he would have placed them both at Parkville High School in the late 90s. If these guys said jump, I said how high. If they said practice starts at 6 p.m., they could count on me getting there at 5 p.m. Now, as a lowly saxophone player, I had no official position of leadership, but that doesn't mean that I didn't recognize the influence that I had on others. If you've ever been a part of any sort of musical group activity, then you know that there are directors, there's conductors, there's leaders in the room, that, and there should really be only one person, one leader for a given practice session. Everyone is supposed to follow their lead. What seriously hinders a band director's ability to move the ball down the field in a rehearsal is other people talking out of turn. So let me tell you that it cut me to the core, cut me deep any time that I was caught talking out of turn, and I have a bit of a mouth. So that wasn't always easy. But because I believed in the mission... I recognized that the best thing that I could do to influence others, the best thing I could do to be a leader, the best thing I could do to, to contribute to the cause was to keep my big mouth shut and my ears open to what the band director had to say. And this was made so much easier because I believed that those directors were living by the principle that we're going to talk about today. So do me a favor, get a Bible in your hand and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32. So you'll notice that uh, 
We didn't get all the way through the book of Mark during our gospel truth series, and that's okay. I can promise you as a evangelical church. Uh, We are not done with the gospel of Mark. We'll get back in there uh, from time to time as the other gospels. But take a look at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And you know what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. And as Jesus was walking ahead of them, note that, by the way. Where was Jesus walking? He was walking ahead of them. You know what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem, yet Jesus, in a group of disciples, in a group of people, Jesus, he's walking with purpose. He's walking ahead of them. He's the leader. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. He took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen. He said, listen up. See, we're going to go to Jerusalem. That's where we're headed. And the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when they say the Gentiles, what are they talking about? The Roman Empire. They will mock him. They'll spit upon him. They'll flog him. They'll kill him, and then after three days, he will rise again. And the disciples think, you're talking metaphorically, right? This is actually the third time that Jesus had told his disciples that what was about to happen. There were certainly times when he spoke to the disciples in riddles, so maybe they thought he was doing that now, maybe not. Knowing the story of the crucifixion, we know that Jesus wasn't speaking in riddles at all. He was again referring to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man was a reference to the book of Daniel that speaks of one like a human being or a Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days, which of course is a reference to God. And when the Son of Man, one like a human being, approaches the Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days gives him dominion and glory and kingship over all. The kingdom that they're talking about there would be an everlasting kingdom, a forever kingdom that was the kind of kingdom that was promised to King David's descendants. The fact that Jesus kept referring to himself as the Son of Man certainly spoke to his claim of power and authority. But now he's saying that that same Son of Man, the one that's going to get all that power and authority and glory, that Son of Man will be handed over to the Hebrew religious leaders who would then in turn hand them over to the oppressive Roman authorities, the massive superpower of the day, in order to be mocked, spat upon, beaten, tortured, and ultimately killed. And remember, Jesus is walking ahead of them during this conversation. He's leading the way. He is a man committed to his mission, yet he knows that if that mission is going to succeed, it will cost him something. Actually, from a certain point of view, we could say that it would cost him everything. Remember this, friends, to praise Jesus as Lord means that we must do business with the cross. The cross is at the center of authentic Christianity. At another point in the story, Jesus actually tells his disciples, you know, if you want to be my followers... 
Anyone, if anyone wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life, they're going to have to lose it. For those who want to lose, have to lose their life for my sake, at my sake, they're going to find it. But as usual, the disciples don't quite understand what's going on. And so James and John, you know, again, you know, you got to be a little bit sympathetic, uh, you know, merciful maybe with the, the disciples because, you know, they're, they're, they're actually the, the, the characters in this story that kind of help us and we identify this because the truth is if I was one of Jesus' disciples, I would probably do something stupid like this as well. But here's James and John. They, he just said this. He just said, I'm about to be mocked and flogged and killed. And James and John, they come up to him, sons of Zebedee. They said, hey, uh, Jesus, teacher, we want you to do whatever we want. Do you? And he said to them, um, well, uh, what, what, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drank or, or be baptized with the baptism that, that I'm baptized with? And they replied, this is kind of like the Sir Robin moment from uh, Monty Python. They, they, they've We are able. <laughs> Okay, Um, Jesus said to them, actually, you want to know the truth? The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, yeah, you're going to be baptized. But to to sit at my right and to my left, that's not mine to, to grant. It is for those to whom it has been prepared. And of course, the, the, the other ones, the other, the other ten, they heard this and they began to be angry with James and John. Hey, what are they doing? They're trying to get ahead of this. So Jesus called them and said, listen, guys, we're on our way to Jerusalem and the Son of Man is going to be mocked and spit upon and flogged and killed by the Roman Empire. You know that Roman Empire? You guys know, you really can't you know, swing a dead cat right now without hitting something that has to do with the Roman Empire. You know that the Roman Empire, among the Gentiles, those that we recognize as their rulers, you know, they, they lured it over them. They're, they're tyrants. They're, they're an oppressive force. But when you guys think of leadership, when you guys think of, of influence, when you guys think of the things that you are going to do to be great in this world... It is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you, well, you're going to have to be slave to all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So yeah, you will... Drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. To follow me is sacrifice. To follow me is servanthood. And if you think for a moment that you're going to have any kind of influence or leadership over human beings, over another human beings, and you want to do it for my glory, it's going to look like servanthood. 
It's going to look like sacrifice. Isn't it interesting how Jesus uses the phrase, whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave to all the disciples? must have had the presence of mind. I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they might have had the presence of mind to immediately respond, well, Jesus, aren't you first among us? You're the son of man, right? You're the one due glory and power and dominion. We just want in on your kingdom. And Jesus says, you know, you're absolutely right. The son of man came to serve. The Son of Man came to sacrifice. The Son of Man came to give his life in order that he might save, that he might give life to many. And if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you desire these things, then a life of service will be required of you and I as well. For Jesus, the Son of Man, will somehow achieve victory over the powers of death and evil and sin by being slave to all. Paul puts it this way. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Look, each of you, not to your own interest, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but but he emptied himself. He took the form of a slave. He was born in human likeness. He was incarnational. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a Roman cross. Therefore, this is one of the most powerful therefores in the Bible, therefore, God also highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name, so that at every name that uh, that the name of Jesus should should knee, so that at everyone the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ, the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ, is glory to the is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mike Gorman and others have referred to. The call to this type of lifestyle is cruciformity. That is conformity to the crucified Christ, and and that's the principle. That's the principle this morning. That's the principle for anyone who feels that they might be in some sort of position of influence over others. That is, that if you wish to see marked influence over the things that God has called you to care about then you are called to a life of humility. You're called to a life of vulnerability, a life of service to others, even a life of words that we don't like as much, even a life of weakness, even a life of slavery, even a life of death. It's a life that that lives out the great commandment, love God and, and love others, in which everything is given to God and others. It's often pointed out that you can't love others um, as yourself without first loving yourself. And the truth is, I don't doubt that. If I don't take care of myself, what good am I going to be at helping others? This is why health is so important. This is why recreation is so important and vacations and time off. This is why education is so important and healthy finances 
Others should, of course, benefit from the steps that I take to build into myself. But here's the rub. I do not believe that I was put on this planet for the purposes of making Joe Miller great. I'm just not that good of a cause. And that's not low self-esteem. It's reality. I believe that the purpose of my life is to glorify God. How do I glorify God? I glorify God by being a servant husband to Amy. I glorify God by being a servant father to James and Henry. I glorify God by being a servant pastor to New Hope Community Church, modeling my life on the cross. I'm called to put down the cause of Joe Miller and pick up the cause of his kingdom because that's a cause greater than myself. Now, does that mean if we're called to sacrificial living, if that, if, does that mean that Christians are called to be punching bags? Yes. Yes, sometimes it does. Early generations of Christians knew that the best way that they could proclaim the gospel of Christ was to die at the hands of the tyrants. And some of the most powerful letters ever written from the hand of the Apostle Paul to the hand of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were written from prison cells. If we are truly to follow Christ's lead to the cross, then you can count on the fact that there will sometimes be unpleasant circumstances or unpleasant consequences for the choices that we know that we need to make. May our courage come not from our own strength, though. May our courage come rather from the strength of the one who suffered all before us on, and on behalf of us. Perhaps that looks like courage um, through violent persecution. It, it doesn't have to be that severe of curse, of course. Maybe it looks like getting past embarrassment and confessing publicly to, to or maybe even to your friends that, that you're a follower of Jesus. Remember, our faith is supposed to be personal, but it's not supposed to be private. So yes, there are times when being faithful to our call will sting. But it is also important that we remember that these things, those stings, are not without purpose. Paul also says, be steadfast, be immovable, always excel in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not vain. You see, the great paradox of the cross is that there is strength in weakness. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was how God became king and turned the world upside down. The world will ask us to make a false choice between strength and weakness, justice and mercy, but Jesus walks triumphantly to to Jerusalem and says, you want to know what the great mystery is? There is no strength without weakness. There is no justice without mercy. Jesus calls us to embrace the and rather than the or. Remember, Jesus wasn't abandoning the prophecy that said that the Son of Man would rule an everlasting kingdom. That crucified Lord, he's still Lord. Make no mistake, Jesus was still the leader with powerful authority. He was still the man who healed the sick and put the religious leaders in their place. He was still the man who claimed authority over the Sabbath and put his hands up to a violent storm and said, Peace, be still, and it obeyed. 
Jesus is still the man who called disciples then, and he's still the man who calls disciples today. He's still Lord. We still follow him. He's still walking ahead of us, except no substitutes. The funny thing is, where he's leading us is to Jerusalem. He's leading us to the cross, or perhaps better said, he's leading us through the cross and into new creation into new life, through a life of sacrificial service to others, into a purpose that he truly has for to, to build for his kingdom. There's a book that came out a, a few years ago by Andy Crouch. It's called we, uh, Strong and Weak, and it talks a lot about these things. In the book, he, he separates a chart into four quadrants. Think of a two-by-two chart with four quadrants. And he uses it to speak into the necessity of influencers to be both strong and vulnerable. The absence of both strength and vulnerability leads to withdrawal. Those who are strong and vulnerable, well, they're the exploiters of those who are vulnerable but not strong. But those who can embrace both strength and vulnerability... Those are the ones that flourish. They are the ones that get things done. They are the ones that are able to sympathize with the situation and respond in a way that's actually going to make the sacrificial play and move the ball down the field. The greatest challenges facing our day and age sometimes seem too monumental to even comprehend. But I know this, they require leadership. They require difficult choices from the best minds of our day. And it's going to take a great deal of courage to name the problem and commit to being a part of the solution. But the truth of the gospel reminds us that Jesus wasn't just seeing the problem from a distance and making a few Facebook comments, making a few uh, cosmic changes in order to kind of get things back on the right track. No, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus came down and lived among us. And when his death came, he died as one of us. Jesus' solution to the problems of the day were incarnational. He knew he needed to get where the problem was, and he's calling us to follow his lead into that reality. Years ago, I remember hearing Doris Gotcher from Grace Fellowship talk about the four household theory. Did anybody ever hear this? If I say the four households, a couple people might hear it. Four households that people can grow up in. So again, imagine a two-by-two chart with four different quadrants that represent four possible households. And where you are on the chart depends on how you answer two fundamental questions that every human being asks. Am I loved? And can I have my own way? So you think about that. When you were a child, generally, did you feel loved? And when you were a child, generally, did your parents let you do whatever you want? Now, some would answer no to both questions and claim that they grew up in a rather rigid authoritarian household where they didn't feel loved and they certainly couldn't have their own way. Others would say yes to both questions, claiming, oh yeah, I felt loved and I was also given kind of any freedom that I wanted and I kind of did whatever I pleased. The problem, of course, here is that there's no discipline and the child was just unruly. Then there were those who said, well, I didn't feel loved, but they didn't care what I did, which is basically absentee parenting. 
And then finally, there was the child who felt loved, but also knew they couldn't have their own way all the time. The world did not revolve around them. And, of course, this is the house that everybody says, oh, yeah, I, I grew up in that house. I, I grew up in the house where I, 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 I felt loved, but, you know, I couldn't have my own way. The world didn't revolve around me. And that's what most people would point to that house number four in this theory and claim that that was their house growing up. The problem is, at that point in the talk, Doris would say, you know, um, that's what people say they, they, they grew up in, but... As I sit with people, she with Doris was a lay counselor for, for Grace, and she says, as I sit with people and I kind of unpack that question, um, I find out that the truth is that there's actually very few people who actually grew up in that house. Most people, when they do the work and they dig deeper, they discover that they had experienced at least one of the other three households in their life. Maybe it was just for a season. Maybe it was just for a time period. But Maybe it was just perception rather than reality, but she commented that it was actually possible for siblings to have grown up in different households. The point of the exercise is to get you to open up and to to kind of get you talking, but not necessarily maybe to a therapist, but probably just over with a friend over a cup of coffee. But here's why I bring it up. I believe that navigating the terrain of strength and vulnerability Warmth and fullness, justice and mercy, these are tensions to manage, not problems to solve. So three things as we close today, before we prepare our hearts for communion. Number one, where does God have you right now? What purpose do you feel for his kingdom Next week, we're going to talk about the work that he calls us to do and how it shapes who we are as human beings, how it shapes us as God's loved creation. Number two, what influence? What influence do you have over the environments in which God places you? Is that influence formal leadership like a position of a parent or a boss or a supervisor or a coach? Or is it indirect influence that can come from being an example to others? And number three, really pray on this this week. What's the sacrificial play? Is your influence marked by servanthood? How does it strike you that Jesus calls those who seek to be great in his kingdom are actually called to be slave to all? We're going to close our time today with communion, the Mass, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. One of the reasons we were given this um, sacrament was to remind us of this servant leadership of Jesus, was to remind us of this sacrifice, to make this sacrifice a part of the rhythm of our lives and our worship. Our communion table at New Hope is, is open to all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you're not there yet, you need to know that you're welcome here. You need to know that we love you. Um, and when we take communion, you should know that you shouldn't be obligated to participate. Feel free to just have a few moments of silence and, in your seat. I will add this, though, as a quick side note, that communion is one of two sacraments that Jesus instituted, and the other is baptism. 
Baptism is a public declaration of your faith. So, if you decide to come forward, if you find yourself coming forward for for communion, and you haven't yet been baptized, that's okay. But I'll ask you, I beg you, consider coming to me later and talking about the possibility of making a public declaration of your faith soon. Nothing would make me happier. Uh, The bread is unleavened, the red is wine, and the white is grape juice. After coming forward, I'll ask you to take the elements back to your seat where we'll take them together. Um, First, though, please stand and join as churches throughout the centuries have done in the reading of the Nicene Creed.